and welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have with us a special guest, George Cheedy, who's going to give us some down low on everything that's going on from a good journalistic perspective. You know, we like to have journalists on the show because they are the smartest people in the world right now, or at least the people you can trust. George, how are you doing today? I'm okay, but I am a talking baked potato. And you should probably, you should take take what I, I am not the smartest person in the world. I'm just physically present sometimes when other people are not. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And you've had a storied journalism career. Walk us through each of your career stops since your first job as a military reporter to the freelance work you do now. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been a, a weird run. Um, this is a nonlinear journalism path. Um, uh, I started uh, as a journalist when I was 19 years old and enlisted in the Army. Uh, I covered infantry training in the Pacific with the 25th Infantry Division. Um, finished college at uh, UMass and immediately started covering the dot-com sort of boom and bust for computer world and network world and info world and whatnot. Um, and then I took a left turn. Um, uh, I left journalism for a little while to do political advocacy in Boston um, and then bounced around for like a year or two before landing another journalism job at the Rocky Mount Telegram. Oh, man. Okay. Which is a tiny little play paper in Eastern North Carolina and an incredibly useful and instructive place to learn how to write about race and politics. Um the Atlanta Journal-Constitution hired me a year later. I covered uh, growth and then crime. Um, and I was dissatisfied as a crime reporter. So I left journalism again, got an MBA, bounced around the Occupy movement for a little while after that because I was radicalized by the crash. Um, and then like my life became this weird confluence of activism and journalism. Uh, I worked for years on issues of homelessness and street-level drug problems in the downtown core of Atlanta for the business community while freelancing for whoever. Um, and then in 2020, um, I found myself writing full-time again um, as a, a writer for The Intercept and others covering the street protests. And then for the last few years, I've been writing about the increase in crime and now the decrease in crime in the city of Atlanta, trying to do that in a way that explains why crime goes up and down and not just a litany of who got killed and how. Um, the, uh, the funny thing is, in the middle of all of that, at the end of 2020, um, I found myself at the state capitol uh, because I thought there would be uh, you know, political extremists trying to disrupt the electoral count or the electoral vote. Um, and I discovered that a group of people we are now describing as fake electors were trying to uh, to do a fake elector thing. Um, <laughs> at the time, we didn't realize the significance, but um, Fonnie Willis subpoenaed me twice to go testify in front of her grand juries. Um, I testified in front of the special purpose grand jury a year ago. I was called three weeks ago um, for the regular grand jury, but my testimony was found to be unnecessary. They had enough. And so here we are. Let's talk about the Trump Georgia indictments, but I want to start for the non-lawyers who listen to the show. 
in its simplest terms, what is the baby Rico that you all have in Georgia? And why was Donald Trump and so many of his associates charged under this statute? So the Georgia Rico is modeled on the federal Rico. Um, and it is expansive. It is what you charge someone with if you believe that a group of people have acted in concert in a conspiracy to commit a crime. Um, it's the Georgia's RICO statute can reach beyond the state's borders if it's necessary. Um, it's part of the reason why somebody like Mark Meadows can draw a charge, even though he may never have actually set foot in in the state. Um, it's uh, I, I have to say it's also one of Fannie Willis's like specialties. She is uh, well known for using the RICO statute expansively uh, in order to deal with some kind of systemic crime. Uh, she sort of rose to fame for the prosecution of Atlanta public school teachers in a test-taking scandal from a few years ago where, you know, I want to say a half a dozen teachers were convicted for racketeering for rigging tests. I recall that between the Georgia uh, uh, teachers, Atlanta public school teacher scandal, and this new uh, most recent usage of Rico with uh, YFN Lucci and uh, Young Thug, it's been, Rico has been a very prominent statute used by Fannie Willis. I've been watching the YFN case and the YSL and Young Thug case closely, um, in part because uh, I've been trying to explain why violent crime increased the way it did in Atlanta. Um, there's been a street war raging since 2015 in Atlanta between these two rival street gangs um, that are also fronted by fairly important rap artists. Uh, the uh, By the way, we get I get into this. In, I'm a co-host of a podcast called King Slime that is looking at the RICO case there. And it's instructive if you want to understand what's going on with RICO in general in Georgia. Um, and talk about the length of time it's taken in, in, in connection with how long it may take to, to bring to trial this many individuals in Trump's case. Well, that's exactly it. So they started the... They, Young Thug was arrested in May of 2022. And the trial was supposed to start in earnest with jury selection in January. Uh, they haven't finished jury selection yet. And it is essentially September now. Um, I don't think they're actually going to finish jury selection until October. And so that's 10 months. And it's 10 months because you're going to find 12 people and a bunch of alternates who can sit for three to six months on what they pay a juror in order to hear a case. There is nothing untrue about what I just said with regard to the Trump case and that racketeering trial, you're going to need to find a dozen people plus alternates who can sit there for months on end. It will probably take as long to seat that jury. So this idea that, well, yeah, let's start the case in October. That's great. Well, maybe you'll have a, a jury seated by June of next year. Um and then a three or four or six month trial. The idea that this concludes before the end of the election next year is wishful yeah. thinking. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that you'll have, have Jack Smith go to trial way before. I, I don't see Georgia going to trial first or second or third or maybe even fourth because of how long it will take to get there. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. Any indication that a conviction hurts his chances, any conviction hurts his chances with the voters of Georgia? With the voters, which are maybe a little, there was some polling that came out from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a couple of days ago that indicated a little softness around an actual conviction, um, but it's hard to tell, uh, in part because people are very solid about their political affiliations right now. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans are playing for maybe 10% of the electorate. That's who can be convinced to go one way or another. And I say that because we have a pretty, pretty good empirical test from 2022 looking at uh, Raphael Warnock's uh, run against Herschel Walker um, and then comparing that to Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. Mm. Kemp beat Abrams by seven points. It wasn't close. But Herschel Walker lost by about a point. And so you got about eight points to give one way or another. That's it. Um, I Look, today, right now, I think Donald Trump loses Georgia by five points. Um, wow. I, I, it's, part of that's just demographic shift. Uh, Atlanta gets 75,000 new residents a year. Atlanta's full. Atlanta's full. People just as a people need to I stop disagree. Around. I absolutely disagree with that. Um Atlanta wants to tell people they're full because the, the rent's going up. Um, but Atlanta hasn't actually reached its peak population yet. Man, after I was the declines of the 70s and 80s. They had traffic on Sunday at 1030 for no yep. reason. Yep. No oh, reason. I look, the like the infrastructure in Atlanta is terrible for the amount of growth that it's getting. No question. But it's also the only place you could build the infrastructure given sprawl in Metro Atlanta. Mm. Um, all of that said, the metro area is absorbing 75, 65, I'm sorry, 65,000 people every year, has been for the last four years. 80% mm. of them are voting for Democrats, and that just that moves the number. So for people who don't know Fannie Willis, can you talk about who she is, where she came from, and what your opinion is of her? As a longtime observer of Atlanta and Georgia politics, what can Fonnie Willis's future be in Georgia politics? So let me start with this. Uh, I spoke to Fonnie Willis about that very question a few weeks ago, and she swears on a stack of Bibles that she has no ambitions for higher office. Um, she says she wants to do 
two more terms as the Fulton County District Attorney and then see what happens. And I sense what she wants is a, is a judicial appointment. Um, and barring that, I can imagine a future Democratic administration pulling her in someplace at the Justice Department. That's possible. Um, but this idea that she's got to run for governor or senator or something like that, that's nonsense. I don't think that's her. Um, she is a career prosecutor uh, with a short stint. She has had a short stint as a defense attorney and a judge, as a municipal judge. Um, but she she had built a long reputation for, you know, sort of very solid, very aggressive prosecution while she had been working at the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. And let me tell you, it is almost impossible to knock off an incumbent in a law enforcement position, to get rid of a district attorney or to get rid of a sheriff. Something terrible has to happen, usually. Um, and as it happens, in 2020, terrible things were happening. Uh, her predecessor had done real damage to the office, so much so that he had been driving away talent. Um, there was this general consensus that he had to be replaced, and the Atlanta way kicked in. Uh, Black Atlanta and White Atlanta worked together in order to solve civic problems, uh, like at a very high level. Um, it doesn't, it's, I have my problems with the Atlanta way, but sometimes that's how, what it looks like. So they said, who do we know who can run and win? Oh, wait, Bonnie Willis. Wait, she did the APS stuff, right? All right, good. High profile black woman. This is important because they've got an electoral advantage and she doesn't suck her. And so she got showered with all kinds of cash and beat Paul Howard and then immediately started rebuilding the office with talent from across the state that had been staying away. And it's part of the reason she's got the RICO team that she does. Paul Howard would not have been able to attract the talent that she did. Talk to me about where Brian Kemp and the Georgia Republican establishment is in all of this. I'm not seeing any notable Georgia Republicans come to the rescue for Donald Trump here. Nope, but I want them to come to rescue for Fulton County. I think they're about to. I just saw the Speaker of the House come and say that he refuses to acknowledge anyone who wants to uh, uh, try to remove Fannie from her office. That's not surprising. Um, I'm not, that's the least surprising thing I've heard. Um, so let's start with this. Um, there is tension between the city of Atlanta and the state politically because the city is blue and the state is red. Um, I don't think Brian Kemp or the, or the Speaker of the House or anyone other than perhaps the Lieutenant Governor um, believe that their political fortunes are tied to Donald Trump one way or another. Um, I think a lot of them view him as a liability. Well, it's going to be it's going to be Brian Kemp versus Ossoff regardless. And Donald Trump can't help in that. Right. Exactly. Uh, and boy, Ossoff and Kemp hate it when you talk about that. But it's that's what's coming. Um, the. Uh, my problem with Kemp in all of this is that the Fulton County Jail has been a murder factory. Uh they're up to five deaths. Murder is a strong word. I don't think anybody in the last year has been murdered there, but 
a death is a death is a death. And the Fulton deliberate, County Jail. Deliberate indifference was the last one, I believe. It just happened I think like so. week or, or last week, yeah. Uh, part of this is staffing. Um, the Fulton County Sheriff has only so many sheriff's deputies to go around. And if he's got to pull them from the jail to go and staff at the courthouse in order to deal with the Trump case, there are fewer people watching the beds in the jail. If Brian Kemp were in sync with the city and county, he would have held, sent state troopers in somewhere to supplement security so that problem wouldn't be occurring. But uh, he hasn't because he doesn't want to look like he's aiding the effort any more than he looks like he is hindering the mm -hmm. effort. And those politics suck. <laughs> they are dangerous. That's my sort of, but yeah, like the, 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 the speaker of the house is new. He's been there about, he's going on a second year now. The previous speaker uh, died in office um, and he was widely regarded as the adult in the room. A rel it wasn't, I wouldn't call him moderate. He was absolutely a conservative, but what we, what, what he was, was temperamentally conservative. He didn't like big changes or lots of like deep political ideology driving political decisions. Um, he was anti-crazy. Mm, that's good. Was, that's a start. Yeah. And so uh, to some degree, he was anti-Trump, like because he just didn't like the institutional dysfunction that Trump bring. Um, the new incoming uh, Speaker of the House was elected by the same people that elected the old Speaker of the House. And they're looking for that temperament. I think that's what we're seeing here. Um, so there's an effort. There's an effort by the state Senate, which is a little less hinged, um, to call for a special session in order to punish Fonnie Willis. And let me tell you, the there are 56 state senators in Georgia. 34 are required to hold a special session. And Republicans have 33 seats, which is to say they don't have 34 seats. And they so they can jump all 33 on the same page. Yeah, they have to have every Republican on the same page plus one Democrat. And there are no Democrats who will call a special session in order to see Fonnie Willis punished for prosecuting Donald Trump. That doesn't happen, but they're going to fundraise over it. They're going to raise as much money as they can. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. 
It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Look, let's talk about politics in Georgia and Atlanta because I want to get your unique perspective before I get you out of here. You've written and you you said you were talking about somebody's politics suck. I really want to hear your uh, your honest, unabridged opinion on this. You've written extensively about the city of Atlanta's investment in a training center for first responders, including police. Some people call it Cop City. Um, Mayor Dickens, my my friend Mayor Dickens, has described it as the public safety training center. Help people outside of Atlanta understand the warring factions here. What's so bad about a training center for police and firefighters? And how has the mayor handled this decision? So let me tell you, first things first, um, I like Andre Jenkins. I would call him a friend. Um, I think he's done a good job as mayor. I think normal under normal circumstances, he'd be looking at a two-to-one advantage against any anybody who challenged him. The crime has fallen, violent crime's down 30%. The roads are getting paved. Nobody in his administration is going to jail. Like those three things have not actually happened in the last 10 or 15 years. The problem is this, this cop city issue, this police training center is in his backfield and he is screwing it up. Um, it's like there's they've, the communication issues around that alone have been some of the worst political communication I've seen in my entire career. Um, so the city has proposed to build a $90 million training center for police and firefighters in a parcel of land just outside of the city limits, um, which kicks some quirky state laws in, which basically lets them build whatever they want without having to put it up to a vote or answer any real questions. The... The folks who oppose the training center say that it's being built on environmentally sensitive land. I question how much of that is actually true. Uh, there is an environmental issue. I think it's mitigatable. Um, it is not the lungs of Atlanta. That's hyperbole. Um, the bigger problem is they're doing this at a time when we should be doing a massive rethink around the role of policing and the role of police training that it was proposed while people were still in the street protesting about George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks being uh, killed. Um, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Like, it's, we're hearing George coming from your way for some reason. And you're breaking up. These hotels are terrible. Yeah. How was that? I'm so sorry. Like, I, I feel you. I'm going to be at Dragon Con in another, like, six or eight hours, and it's going to be like that for so me. I heard the last, the, I mean, I heard Rayshard books. I was just enamored listening to you. Go ahead. I got one more so small let me, question. So, for you. 
I'll go on. Like, so people were still in the street protesting over the deaths of Rayshard Brooks and uh, George Floyd when this gigantic spending idea hits the city council. Um, and so a group of people who are very dedicated to the idea of criminal justice reform uh, went to the mattresses and they've been protesting ever since. And as they have the amount of information that's come out about what's what this training facility is going to be about um, has been sharply negative. Um, there's talk about a, like um, military operations on urban terrain component that looks like urban war warfare training. There's a little hyperbole in that. The question is whether or not the doctrine of the Atlanta Police Department matches the progressive ideals of the city. And that's an open question. Um, the, for me, my problem is actually pretty basic. I don't trust anybody. <laughs> like, I don't trust Atlanta's government. As much as I like Andre Dickens, like there's a history of corruption in Atlanta that has to be watched. And the proposal runs the whole thing through the Atlanta public. Uh, there's an Atlanta police training. What is not Atlanta police training? I'm forgetting the acronym. The uh, uh, Atlanta Police Foundation. The entire thing hands the training facility over to the Atlanta Police Foundation, which is a private nonprofit organization that is not subject to an Open Records Act request and has no outside oversight. They're paying for a third of it, like which is to say the corporate donors for the Atlanta Police Foundation are paying in order to control what police training does in the city of Atlanta. That is a gigantic red flag for me. Um, if I if there was transparency about everything, I might be OK, because I actually think they need a new training facility. But there isn't. I can't get them to return a phone call and neither can anybody else um they've completely they've closed the doors they don't want to they just want to see if they can power through it and so the city has been fighting this with every legal including doing things that democrats have sued the government over in order to keep a referendum about this off the ballot they're using a signature matching system that the ACLU and a bunch of other organizations sued the state in order to keep from using. Um, here's where, like, the politics of this. This is the part that I think is important. The people, like, there's a referendum, there's a petition to put a referendum on the ballot about Cop City. That petition now has 104,000 signatures in a city with 400,000 registered voters. Um, the threshold is 58,000 signatures to get it on the ballot. But if you've already got 25% of the city signed on to it, then you've, you're in trouble politically. Um, the people who are looking for those signatures, the folks who've been out with clipboards getting them, are all of the progressive organizations that Joe Biden asks for help in 2024 in order to win Georgia new like new georgia project fair fight the aclu the um the unions uh like the grassroots organizations um they're all the ones who are saying please stop cop city and so when biden shows up in eight months and says hey we need to win georgia again democracy's on the line 
they're going to say, where the hell were you? And or what, you, have a or, or, or they're going to they're going to pit him right against Andre um, and say, how do you feel about this? Put him on the spot. How do you feel about this issue? Which is going to be an interesting thing for him to have to finagle out of or into. Yeah. Um, I, so I look, think cost, I think Cop City costs George, Biden, Georgia. Straight up. Wow. 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 wow, wow. OK. So going back to Rico, going back to the podcast, King Slime, I want people to know how can they listen and support Young Slime? Um, is it you? Know, the case is called King Slime. Your podcast is called Young Slime. How no, 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 you... other way around. Okay. Uh, the, oh, the, is... the podcast yeah. is called King Slime. There you go. Um, and you can find it anywhere you can find a podcast. Uh, Apple actually, Podcasts. You know, I've, I've listened to it and I, I actually thoroughly enjoy it because I just enjoy following this mess that is the Rico charge and Slime's mess that he's created and whether or not he'll be able to get out of it. Yeah, he's, I, I think he's in trouble. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to call it one way or another, but I think it's a really serious case for him. Yeah. Um, but I think it's there are larger issues at play too. Um, how does street crime mer emerge into this thing in the first place? Um, and whether or not this trial actually solves that problem. Well, since they've been locked up, crime has gone down. It has. And I think that, and I actually think this is part of that. Like, yeah. but it's not all of it. Not all of it. No, by no means. But how can people follow you and your work on social media? So uh, the podcast you can find anywhere you find podcasts. Um, I write for the Atlanta Objective. It is a newsletter. Just Google the Atlanta Objective. You'll find it. Um, I will be starting in a few months a column for The Guardian. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, and it will be looking at red state blue city disputes. Oh, that's right up your alley. Well, George, thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Blame that on the yeah. wild. But hey, we were able to get it all in. I appreciate you and the work you do. I appreciate you too. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.